Welcome to DNA of a Dangerous Church. Get ready for powerful and practical insight on how to let the supernatural power of God loose in your life. Join your host and anointed guests for a crash course of equipping to release God's mighty authority, healing, prophecy, leadership, spiritual warfare, and evangelism. And now, your host, international speaker, author, revivalist, and prophetic voice, Pastor Ren Shuffman. We are talking about prophetic protocol today, and we have some amazing guests on here. Let's talk about the biblical model for prophecy, where we're missing it, where we're getting it right, and where we're failing completely, and help you to live a supernatural life naturally. All right, so we got some great guests on here today. I'm going to introduce them first. I have right here to my right in studio, uh, David Andrade. David, thank you for being here with us. Bless you, Rev, and all those that are joining us today. Uh, for you guys that don't know who David Andrade is, amongst many things that he has done for the sake of this conversation and how it's pertinent, David is well known for uh, being the one that spent several years helping Paul Cain to be restored to ministry. When Paul Cain, uh, the prophet, Paul Cain, uh, had a falling away, uh, there was a restoration plan put in effect that was carried out by David. And so he spent unique time uh, in the office with prophets, uh, seeing both their successes and their failures for this conversation that we're having today. And I also want to bring on my friends here real quickly. I have with me Gershom Sakala is joining us. Gershom, say hi. Hi, I'm so excited. Thanks. Now, Gershom um, actually wears one of the coats of Paul Kane. He was one of those that was given one of the five coats of Paul Kane. So he's a son of Paul Kane. He's a prophet himself, prophet to the nations from Africa. I'll give you guys a second to introduce yourself. I just want to introduce all three of you real quick uh, before we get started. And then uh, last but certainly not least, my good friend, uh, Ken Fish. Ken Fish himself has been uh, around every single general I can think of. He is a general in the faith. You can't talk about the history of the church and the modern outpouring of the Holy Spirit without bringing Ken Fish's name into the equation. Ken, thanks for joining us today. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And so Ken, Ken flows. Ken is one of those that kind of is uh, a, a source of information, right? He, he, he is a dictionary of information uh, when it comes to all things Holy Spirit and the Bible itself. And so not only does he walk in the prophetic, but he is a, a great equipper, teacher uh, and theologian in that area. So it was really important that we had him on here for this discussion because we each have some unique things. So we have a son of Paul Cain on here. We have the one that restored Paul Cain and we have somebody that walked with many of the prophets and is a prophetic voice himself in the season. And just to say one thing about Ken Fish is, is I have to agree uh, with what uh, our friend Chris Reed said about him recently. I was watching Chris Reed introduce him and said, I don't know why every single person in the church doesn't know who Ken Fish is. This guy is the total package. And I was like, that's, you know, that's the best definition I've seen for him. So I, I just wanted to jump into this and I'll give you guys just a second. Gershom, can you say something about your ministry and what you're doing right now before we just jump into the thick of the prophet? Um, basically, when I was nine years old, Jesus visited me. Then when I was 14 years old, I started preaching the gospel. And uh, during that same time, I got in touch with uh, uh, Charles and Francis Anter. 
they started mentoring me on the distance. And I was also their healing line for Charles and Francis Hunters in South Africa when people are getting healed in South Africa on television. They put myself online there. I'm the one who was answering the phone and praying for people for healing. Then I also uh, I got exposed with Kenneth E. Eigen, uh Sr. He, he used to send me all the books and all the trainings. Uh, those are some of the things that uh, um, when I was 14, 15, uh, by the time I was 17, I was already a household name in terms of the gospel for signs and wonders. Now I live in America. I work with uh, uh, some of the actors. To I walk, I walk journeys with them on some of well-known names that I cannot mention here. Um, I also pastor church in Grandel, uh, California, and we also have an office in Beverly Hills. Uh, we have also a, a platform for believers, even non-believers. It's called the Pure Connect. Uh, it's it, it connect with a K, K O N E C T. Pure Connect. It's it's for pure intention, communicating on the safe. Uh, we are. I call myself now as a as a digital missionary. All right, Ken, tell them a little bit about your ministry for those that don't quite know you yet. All right, <clears throat> excuse me. I um, I'm the founder of Orbis Ministries. Uh, o R B I S Orbis Ministries. Uh, website is orbisministries.org, not .com. .org, and um, I worked for a number of years with John Wimber who was the founder of the Vineyard Movement and who's, well, I don't know. He's, I think he's often credited with starting the third wave movement of the Holy Spirit um, along with C. Peter Wagner. Uh, this is the move of God that followed the charismatic revival of the 60s and, and early 70s, as well as the Jesus People revival. Um, it went on to become the genesis of the Toronto outpouring and um, a number of other movements. Uh, Randy Clark gives credit to John Wimber for his ministry, at least the beginnings of it. Uh, Bill Johnson uh, credits a lot of what he does and, and learned uh, from actually just attending some John Wimber conferences. I don't think he ever met him. Um, anyway, so I worked with John Wimber for about 11 years, and I then had a business career for a number of years, and I founded Orbis Ministries in 20. 10, so 12 years ago. Um, I travel the world. I've been in over 40 countries. And yesterday, I returned from a trip to Armenia. One of the things you did was you, you helped write for John Wimber, right? So a lot of the information out there for John Wimber, you actually helped author that. And I know you were actually there um, as part of that team that John Wimber sent that brought the Holy Spirit to Randy Clark's church that really that was part of that outpouring, you know, just a few of you. So that church history, that rich church history of seeing the power of Holy Spirit move. A lot of us have heard the stories about the, the Toronto outpouring and having animal sounds and, you know, the, the weird stuff that happened in that. And it's like there's this moment where it's like how to navigate those those seasons of outpouring. I feel like we're in another one of those seasons where God is about, I, and I say about, but I believe we're in it right now. Last time you and I spoke, Ken, I said we were in a Nehemiah season where we were building and battling. And I believe that God is pouring out on the church right now. And we're in a season of rebuilding the church. The kingdom is beginning to reemerge. And I believe we are taking mountains for the kingdom, rebuilding the cities and the walls and seeing harvests like we haven't seen before. Uh, there is definitely a shaking going on. There's definitely things transpiring. 
Um, but in that season, there's always going to be uh, some difficulties navigating that. And so in the, in the modern prophetic movement, we've, we've had a season over the last two years. And, and I know we've spent time on this in 2020 as all of the prophets were releasing words on the election. I know we spent time on it. But now we're, I think we're kind of past all that, but we're not past all that. It doesn't seem as though we're past all that. And, and I want to talk about kind of pr prophetic protocol or what we should do as prophetic voices, uh, not just the prophetic voices, but also the people that are watching right now, what they're supposed to do in order to aid. Because you have two two frames, and I'll let you guys jump in as you as you feel like you have something for this. You have these two frames. You have one, how are the prophets supposed to respond? And then how is the body of Christ supposed to respond? You have the body of Christ, which in one way devours its own, and in the other way, dangerously allows anything and you have both of those happening so I'll, I'll start with you ken on that what do you see is happening right now with uh, with prophecy and how do you think we should be proceeding are, are we off anywhere is there, is there anything that we need to get right in our prophetic protocol well that could be the whole show right there but uh, it will be yeah <laughs> i i <laughs> i i think the main thing that's happening everybody during the uh, COVID and everything, they were saying the great reset, the great reset. And I, honestly, I think some of this was just language that was picked up from what the world was saying, because the, you know, the, the power brokers of this age, the Davos crowd, uh, they were talking about the great reset. Now, what the prophetic community and what the power brokers meant, that th those things might have been, you know, galaxies apart. Uh, but I will say with regard to the prophetic, I think we are in a time of at least recalibrating uh, the prophetic. I'm going to try to avoid using the same buzzwords that others have used. And what I mean by recalibrating is I think we're, we're, we're looking at what we have known of the way prophetic ministry has been done. And we found in some ways that it's lacking. Uh, the accuracy wasn't what it needed to be. Um, I think there was a measurable amount of self-promotion um, rather than promoting the Lord. And maybe in some cases, I wouldn't say this is across the board, uh, but in some cases, people were uh, finding ways to, I don't know, do, what do we want to say, do well by doing good? And so people are rethinking all that, and I think they're looking for a, a better quality of prophetic delivery and prophetic accuracy Um including, you know, if, if we say somebody's going to become the president, they do. Uh, but, you know, beyond that, I think there's, um, you know, what what do we bring and how does it how does it measure up against biblical norms and standards? Uh, before we started this show, we were kind of having an offline talk. And we, you know, the four of us were discussing the we were discussing specifically whether it was okay for prophets to bring words that might not always be happy God words. that might not always be, you know, good news all the time. I think the Old Testament prophets clearly prophesied good news, but at times bad news. And I think the New Testament prophets did that as well. We only need to look at Agabus, the prophet. He prophesied a famine that was going to come over the entire eastern end of the Mediterranean. That's not particularly good news. Uh, he also prophesied that Paul would be handed over. And again, that's not particularly good news, but it's it, both things happened. 
and the scripture shows that they happened. And I might even add that Paul the Apostle himself said um, that there will be terrible times in the last days. Men will be boastful, proud, and abusive, uh, lovers of money rather than lovers of themselves. He also said that in the last days, uh, men, many would give heed to seducing spirits and the things taught by demons. And he uses that exact term. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 4. But that's um, not nice. Well, I know it's not nice. So I'm what I'm saying is... It's not encouraging. I think there's plenty of biblical example or precedent for, um, what do we want to say, prophetic ministry that has a little more teeth in it. But the caution that we need to say at the same time is you know you need to have you need to have the prophetic chops you need to be you need to be operating at a level where you can actually bring those kinds of words uh hopefully do it in a gracious way and also we should add have the things that you say come to pass yeah the, the track record to, to me when it comes to those negative things the track record becomes very important and vital uh for for me uh walking in that um uh, Gershom, so when, when when you're releasing a prophetic word, are you always in, in the in the happy camp? Do you disagree with that, or do you you know do you ever find yourself? I can tell you for a fact that you know I struggle sometimes with releasing that negative word. I you know I don't want it to be received terribly, but occasionally it is. Uh, it's a, a warning is also a, a gift that is a that is protection. Uh, it protects you. For example. My place as a leader with my church is very intact now because I shared to my church that Donald Trump is not going to be a president. The one who's going to be a president is the current president now because I had a dream about it. Even when all my friends, including my own mind, was telling me that's not right, but as negative it looked to me, but it was a protection for my spirit. So if, if you're a true servant of God, you should be open to receive not just something from your mind, what you think is right, but something from the spirit of God. The, the way the prophetic works, the more submissive you are to God, the more God will trust you with the true words. You get fired as a prophet, still have a prophetic thing when you start prophesying to try to praise man. First and foremost, a prophet was never called to praise man or praise government. A, a prophet is sent from God. It's totally sent from God. To, to be the mouth of God. So when God shows you something negative, for example, um, I have an email that I sent out uh, like three months ago warning people in Houston, Texas, that there will be a shooting in the church. I said, I said it, please get your ashes. Every church should get, uh, should be security conscious who comes in. Make sure you are security conscious. Guess what? No one paid attention to me, but they paid attention to all the false prophets. Every false prophet's word goes viral. Guess what? The shooting happened two days ago. I was crying. I said, it happened in Houston. The pastor was preparing for the church service. 
and somebody came and shot it, yet I took one week, one week. And some people even said, why are you saying this? I said, no, it was a dream. In that dream, I was told that there is this innocent church that somebody will come and shoot in Houston. And I said it very clearly in Houston. Wow. And, and uh, it's on my Facebook. I posted there. I don't want to even talk about it much because it makes me sad because it would have prevented that. So a negative is not negative. It's to protect you. That's good. That's really good. So, you know, David that's sitting next to me here, David, you had, you had a word in 2018, the same time that Ryan Johnson, I interviewed him about the word he had where he called the election correctly. You called the election correctly, but it went against, it was a Micaiah word. It went against all the other uh, words that were out there and you, you weren't treated badly. I want to make sure not, not to uh, frame it wrong, but like a lot of the, 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 the generals, prophetic generals, uh, you know, they were saying, hey, maybe maybe not release that word on a national Most platform. of the generals are fired. I, I was very used to having, uh, there's a there's a difference. First of all, I don't really walk in the prophetic. My, my gift I, is really a word of knowledge. But the, but I have dreams. And in some of the dreams, the Lord has been in my dreams. Something happened. Uh, Gershom and I were both together. Uh, Paul King, uh, we were at Paul Kane's home right before he was getting ready to graduate, and he passed something on. I had no idea what that meant, but it meant that from there on in, our dreams, my dreams were going to change. Uh, I know that uh, Gershom's are a little bit different. We all we all uh, use or are gifted in different ways, however the Lord chooses to do that. But uh, uh one of the very first dreams that I had uh, talked about was a, with the Lord was in the dream with me and he was telling me about the COVID. This was before anybody had even heard of the COVID and I announced it in our church. Right. And it uh, was a, it was a great amount of time. It was a good amount of time, three to six months before. And uh, nobody knew what to do with it, but there was the, but it, there was a number of events. I probably have had a total of seven in the last four and a half years. But uh, in, in those particular things, the Lord said very definite things to me. And it was different because a lot of it, I would not have thought of in my by my own. I wanted Trump to be president. Right. So, so you're having these kind of negative um, uh, uh, words that are against what you, your best wishes are or what you would desire and what the body would desire. So you take those to some of the generals and they're saying, hey, maybe lay back. Yeah. Well, but what was their kind of rationale for, whoa, let's slow down well, here? Because we're yeah. learning how to navigate this kind of stuff. Well, first of all, some of the dreams are very dark. The, but what made the difference was that the Lord was in the dreams with me. He was standing. Nobody else could see the Lord. And I was in the I had different. I don't want to go into all of that. I want to stay specific. But uh, ex, ex, what happened was that I didn't know what to do with with what was going on. So I, I talked to my my wife about it, and uh, and I made some phone calls. I I uh, we've done many conferences, a global call school, of the prophets, others throughout the years, and uh, I called people that were seniors in the prophetic. Uh, movement. They would be fathers. And I discussed with them, but they didn't feel, they felt that we were coming into a different season, that those 
that those dreams were not legitimate for that time. And I and they're my friends. They look after me. They, and uh, so I, I knew that their reasoning was to protect me from a fallout that might happen if I started to announce uh, certain things that were about to take place. And so uh, they put me on a probation. The probation uh, was a considerable amount of time. It was, it was uh, over two years. And they gave me dates when, if everything had come to pass according to the dreams, which was very much against what everybody else was saying, uh, that they would stand behind me. So I now, in many ways, I have their affirmation now. I didn't have it back then. And uh, they're standing with me if I have something to say. And so I... Um, but, you know, my the season, it's, it was like a boot camp. I, I have no other way to explain, uh, pro, uh, explain it. It was, uh, I remember when I first started to get them, I was very cocky. And I, and I remember now, I've, you know, I've kind of gone through a generation and watching all of the things that took place back then and people being very cocky themselves and announcing different things that it was the word of the Lord. And... Uh, there is a new fear in me. I, I am very hesitant to say to anybody, unless the Lord told me personally that this is what the Lord said. So, and I, I know that other people don't believe that, but we all, I think that every, anyone in the prophetic, and, I, and, I, and many times I try to judge people by my own experiences, but it doesn't work because the Holy Spirit has different administrations of the same gift. And... Uh, what I, what I found was that as I was going through this time, that there was a different operation. It doesn't speak to everybody the same way. But, uh, but the, there were, I think that everyone that is prophetic or whatever spiritual gift that, that really their, their operation is, that there are markers that we know, that we know, that we know, that those markers represent a freedom to speak boldly whatever the Lord gives to us. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to glean from other prophets and, uh, and from yourself and, and many others that are, are, that are close friends. And uh, we all operate differently. I was trying to find a specific formula, but it's just not there. The Holy Spirit does with them a, a, a lot, what I've, what I've noticed. And a lot of them have had visitations with the Lord personally, but uh but he operates with them in things that are familiar to them. Yeah, and and uh, and then he anoints it in a in a way. I, for me, I'm, I'm I know that I probably said too much already. But for me, what the Lord does, even in a word of knowledge, the, uh, I will have a thought or a picture or even a download, and all of a sudden the presence comes on me. So I know I'm 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 empowered to deliver that. So those we all have different markers. Those are my markers. Yeah. Right? And for me, I'm I'm not as secure as some people. And you're in some ways are very much more secure than I am. So I need that. But I'm not the only prophet that is, or I'm using the word prophet. But I'm not the only person that has that has gone through that. Paul taught, told me that when the anointing was on him, he was bold, he was straight, he was right on it. But as soon as the anointing lifted, he had a fear that he might have said something wrong. And so, you know, uh, and, and even though he had a 
proven ministry for so long, it was still, so I think that many times we do go through insecurities, but we're learning a balance from one another. And uh, so I'm going to stop. So let, let's come back to that. I want to come back to that fear when the anointing lifts in a second. Yeah. But the end of that story was after your word was, was proven true. I mean, you, you released that word with several generals, one of them being, being uh, Bishop Bill Hammond. Yeah. And, and after the word came true, Bishop, Bill Hammond basically has your back now, right? I mean, he said, you know, I got you in the future. You were right on with yeah. this. And yeah. so yeah. now he has, so so even though you were on probation with him, he said, okay, the word has been tested and you've been proven right. But there's others that didn't exactly receive that. And still, so there's like literally kind of a split. Some said, okay, you were right. I got it. Others are holding and doubling down. Is that right? Uh, yeah. You know, there, there's three, there's three areas. And of the prophetic that I see going on. You have those that will only say the good stuff, really only saying the bad stuff. And then you've got some people in between that basically are saying both. And, and I, I, you know, there's a word, uh, Jesus used it. Yeah. He's the word Pino for, uh, for the word uh, earth pangs. And what's important about that word is that he was giving, giving an illustration of things to come. It's interesting that he uses the word de deceive four times in, the, in Matthew chapter 24. But what but the birth pangs are evidence that something is in the womb that is that is about to birth. And he doesn't say only good things. In fact, we he's talking about Agabus. Well, we also see uh, in the book of Revelation, the uh, chapter two and chapter three, the message of the churches. It's not all good, but it's it's basically what the Lord is saying to the church. You're off course and he's instructing the church to get back on course but it's but one of the things that i see very important is that it's not all about giving an accurate word it's the scripture goes on to say it's for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying the body and then it goes into an arrangement one of one of those things is about deception and the and the the thing is that in matthew chapter 24 and going on to verse 21 in the in the book of Ephesians, it's about deception. That 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 we that you be not so easily deceived by every wind of doctrine, by the deception of men by which they wait in to deceive. And so the the thing about it is that what we don't understand is that the that warnings are a gift from the Holy Spirit. They're 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 a gift so that the church can prepare for what's coming. And quite frankly, the church is blind. And so there needs to be an emergence of people that walk in maturities. Because the Ephesians chapter 4, it's, di it's different. It talks about the gifts of the Spirit, given by the Holy Spirit. But Ephesians chapter 4 are gifts to the church by Jesus. And then it goes on talking about the oracles of the prophetic gift. And it's talking about the Father. But the thing about it is, is in this gift, this this ministry is to the church so that the church has direction, which what direction to go in whatever yeah. season we're in. And I'm, I'm Amen. Okay, so Ted, I'm going to let you weigh in on that. I have some other questions to ask, but I'll let you weigh in on that if you have something else or I'll ask another question. I'd say just ask another one. I think David. Okay. So, so I think with, 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 uh, you know, he brought up the point about the idea that Paul came when, you know, he ministered, he was with Paul Kane for every ministry trip for four years. And, um, uh, you know, that, that four years cons consecutively. And when the anointing would lift, Paul was terrified of giving a false word, you know, and he said, you know, he made the, the accusation 
to me just now that, that I'm much more bold and confident when I feel the Holy Spirit or don't feel the Holy Spirit. That's not true. I just become very comfortable being uncomfortable. I am very good at um, being terrified and doing it anyway. So when, when I don't sense that, you know, that the glory coupled with my anointing, I'm able to just still just throw myself out there. Maybe because um, I'm, I'm way more Tom Cruise Maverick than he is. Maybe I'm just, I, that's just been my process of learning to stretch and take really crazy risks if I'm ever going to get anywhere. Um, and, and so, but that idea of fear that holds back the prophetic, you know, what, what part of fear are we supposed to allow into there and how are we supposed to deal with that in terms of the prophetic and the fear of getting it wrong? And you can weigh in that on however you want to, or whatever triggered you there. Well, I think, I think it's very important to have a proper fear of the Lord. Um, this is a term that we don't use much in the church today. Because, again, everything is supposed to be, you know, God's our daddy, God's our papa. And so, you know, God forbid that we should be afraid of him. But uh, I'd say there have been many generations of young children who understood what it was to have. Um, well, maybe they were afraid of their dads just a little bit, not in the sense of cowering in terror all the time. But they understood that they better not mouth off to dad. And they understood that what dad said was, I mean, this is the way it was going to be in the house. I think because we live in a fatherless generation and it's, it's become literally an epidemic in, in the West. Um, I think I saw a figure recently that fewer than 10% of all children are growing up with their natural father. They may have a stepfather. Their mother might have a live in boyfriend. Uh, their mother may be on her own, but fewer than 10% of children actually have a natural father. If the statistic was right. So, um, well, well, I put that statistic in my book, so I think it was right. So thanks right. for reading it. <laughs> well, so we don't we don't think to uh, you know have that kind of reverent respect for God much of the time, and I think a lot of people just, as it were, take the Lord's name in vain, uh, trying to make what they say authentic. And like David was saying, I mean, there are times when. I think I've got a word from God and I'll hold on it either for it to become clearer to me or to be sure that I'm sure maybe I need confirmation of some kind. It kind of depends on the particulars, but I don't just, I just don't say everything that comes to my mind and assume that it's automatically the word of the Lord. Um, and with that, I think, you know, the, the, the first test of prophecy is not the one or two or more prophets are gathered listening, but it's rather the one that you yourself put on what you think might be a word from the Lord. And you ask yourself internally, is this word worthy of being released? Is this even something I should be saying? Is this something that's licit? Because, you know, we do have these prophetic protocols and different people have, you know, taught on them and posted about them. Uh, one of the best is posted on the Streams Ministries website led by John Thomas. Uh, that was formerly John Paul Jackson's ministry. Wow. Um, it has a list of prophetic protocols right there. But I mean, look, I'm not trying to say this is the only ministry that has this. Um, I like it. I have it cross posted as well. But but rather um, that, I mean, whether it's Dan McCollum or Chris Vallotton or some of the others that are doing a lot of teaching on the prophetic these days, there's there there is material out there. It is being 
distributed and circulated. And it does have at its core this idea that not everything that comes to you is actually God. So it's up to you to, to learn to hear the voice of the Lord well enough to be able to say, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty think this I pretty much think this is it. Um, or no, this isn't this doesn't pass the test. So therefore, I'm going to I'm going to bite my tongue for the time being. And golly, if somebody preempts me and gets that word before I do. And so they become the first person to deliver that word. That's OK. So, um, Gershom, when it comes to that subject, you know, about being afraid to deliver a word, like how do you process that when you were prophesying? I've been afraid many times, actually. Um, um, I didn't want to be a prophet or be involved in the prophetic. Um, but I remember the Lord said, uh, you have to you have to speak when you speak, you create life. Um, the first thing is because I'm afraid to prophesy, I have to make sure that my intentions are clear. If my intentions are clear, even what I say, it's not perfect. God will perfect my prophecies. Um, in the mouth of babies, God perfects praise. Uh, I would say this, that I've been 99% correct in my prophecies. Uh, I know that that's very bold, maybe 1% uh, not correct, but I'm correct all the time when I prophesy and I'm supposed to be correct um, because I'm speaking on the behalf of the Lord. But fear is one of the qualifications to be a man of God is to have fear. Fear is a gift. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We know there's a fear of man, but fear is a gift because if you're not afraid, you may just do things on your own. But I'm talking about the fear of the Lord. When you have the fear of the Lord, you'll be careful what you speak. But remember this. Every time, especially if you're new in ministry or in the prophetic, you will always feel handicapped or unequipped you will feel you are not good enough. But one thing we should know is that we are the only, we are just the carriers. We are just, uh, um, I received, okay, this is the book, one of my book, Knowing Yourself, came in a mail, but I don't know the person who delivered. It's just a delivery mail, person that delivered it. So sometimes we are just a mail deliverer. We just deliver a mail to someone, the word of God to someone. So we should value what we are calling, that we are calling a very important information to somebody's destiny. Prophecy supposed to unlock somebody or protect someone to advise someone. Will you be afraid? Yeah. That's why every time the spirit of boldness comes upon me, I have no fear at all. I just want to preach. But when that boldness is off me, sometimes I said, wait a minute. For example, I prophesied to this, uh, Lynn, Lynn, I prophesied to this uh, woman. She was in my conference in Carson, California. I said, woman, the Lord said he's going to bless you with a car and a house. Then one of the ladies that follows a ministry, she said, you are wrong this time. I said, why? 
That woman you just prophesied to, she sleeps in the street. She's homeless. Then I went like, I'm glad I didn't know she was homeless. Now mm -hmm. she's no longer homeless because I spoke the mm -hmm. word of God. Six months later, she came to our church in Grandel. You know what happened? She brought a good offering to say thank you. She said, now I have six cars and I have three houses. <laughs> then, I, wow. then I said to her, how, what happened? You know, in six months, that's <laughs> too short period to have all that. I would be happy for her just have a car, uh, not a house. You know, at least it's a half prophecy fulfilled. But she had uh, six cars and now she had three houses. She said, what you did not know, I was married before, but I got divorced and my husband chased me. And he totally removed, ripped me off from, my, from the, his will. When we divorced, he left me with nothing. So I came to LA for survival and no one could help me. So the only way I found myself is to sleep in the street. And somebody told me of a conference and I came to your conference. Um, and just when you prophesied that the following day, I received, uh, it's a, it was a sad news and good news at the same time. I received a news that my husband died a week ago. And they found a letter that he wrote on his deathbed to say he has left everything to his wife, his ex-wife. Wow. His current house. But not, he had married another one, but he did not leave anything to the one he was married to, but he left everything to his ex-wife. Wow. 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 God that can change your story. I can tell you another testimony yeah. of a friend of mine, his name is Jeff Watson from Las Vegas. No house, nothing, no money. His father did not want to give him money at all. I prophesied to him that you're going to be a millionaire. And he is a millionaire today because his father had, had written him off from his will. Just He was 80-something 80, 80 years old. He calls him and said, Jeff, I've put you on the wheel. I love you, my son. I was blinded. A prophetic word is a power of delivery that every prophet should be worthy of living because you are carrying somebody's destiny. That's why the enemy fights the prophetic voices. Amen. Yeah, that's really good. So if you ever have a word for me that I'm going to be a millionaire, you just have no fear in releasing that, Gershom. Just whenever, you just interrupt me. Anytime you need to, you call me on a Sunday morning in the middle of my message and just, hey, sorry to interrupt, but you're going to be a millionaire. I'll be okay with it. I'll forgive you. Uh, a lot of forgiveness. I'm just I'm just humble that way. But, so, but, but that anointing is so yes, real upon my yes. life. I'm even scared. I'm in on that one too. <laughs> I, I can tell you, uh, I was in Santa Maria, where Paul Ken was. There, I preached in a healing room. Rick Terra, forgive me for this. Uh, I didn't want to mention him, but I preached in the healing room. And they gave me a good offering after preaching. Then I asked Rick Terra, I said, what do you want from the Lord? He says, we want to buy this building. Then I said, in the name of Jesus, I prophesy that this building is 
you will buy it cash. Guess what? They have bought that building cash. I'm saying, yeah. forgive me, because they are after after I prophesied, there were 10, 20 more prophets prophesied. He told me, so I don't want to make sure I there is no prophetic rights fighting. But, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, prophetic rights. You get a one twentieth share of the prophetic yeah, rights. I don't know if that's how it works. Are you like? Is it, is it like? Is it like invest? Like you get like stock in the prophetic right of that? I don't know. I don't know if that there's a protocol for that one. Yeah, so, I'm glad I mentioned that. That might have just blessed somebody. You know? Amen. Amen. You know, one so, thing about we are one body. If you prophesy something, I prophesy, it resonates. Uh, Ken Fisher prophesies. We should mm -hmm. rejoice in one another. I just finished writing a book called Delete the Offense. One of the hindrance to the prophetic, it's cutting offense on one another. And the Lord showed me uh, a revelation uh, one week ago. Heidi Baker, who I call Mama Heidi, she flew to come and see me. I spent a day with her. And we were talking also with Chehon's wife, Sue, Susan Chehon. And Sue said, they have a big church here in Pasadena. She asked me and asked Heidi Baker as well, said, why, why do you think there is so much division in the body of Christ? Then I said to her, it's because of offense and competition. We should know that we sh there should be no room for competition. Um, they should we need people to prophesy because we are defying one another. If either I prophesy or some or Lynn prophesies, as long as a prophecy comes to pass, we all win. All we need, in fact, this is what I do. I, I would rather be a layback prophet than a frontline prophet. This is what I do. When I watch you lean on this line, you're prophesying. I go in tongues like, oh, Rabasaka, let that prophecy come to pass, Lord. That's so great. Let that prophecy come to pass. Because I'm supporting. I'm not against you. I am for you. We are from one kingdom. Be Amen. Because if God is using you, it's for my benefit. If God uses me, it's for your benefit. The way God uses Ken Fisher, the Lord says to you right now, Ken Fisher, that, that you're about to step in. There's a big book that's going to be released through you that is going to bring a new wave of miracles in the prophetic also i see businesses will be uh you'll be like a spiritual consultant for many businesses mm. and, and god mm -hmm. is going to release that anointing and that new insight you have it but it's going to be amplified you know what this anointing wow. is going to do for the body of christ on him he's going to step into multi-millionaires because it's going to make these billionaires these businesses become multi-millionaires and that's and that's something is going to help the body of christ and lane i see you stepping into a new like a uh like a an office <laughs> and that office there's a round table and there is billionaires around you and the mm -hmm. lord says is going to bring is going to make you the voice for the people that have wealth and finances, even starting right there in Oklahoma, wealthy people start being attracted and you become the voice in their lives. And the Lord says, he has given you the anointing for entrepreneurship. He's about to increase your finances. Oh my God. The Lord says there is favor that is like transferable through you. When people are connected to you, they'll be blessed by the favor of God, supernaturally and financially. And there is also revelation 
your teaching is not a, a casual, rational teaching. The Lord says, these are mysteries to come. The Lord is going to offload mysteries to come to, for the body of, for edification of the body of Christ. Those, oh, I see like uh, healing bumps, like uh, lights of healings coming out of you. Rabba Sakal. Okay, I didn't want to throw mm -hmm. into that, but uh, maybe, maybe somebody, somebody it's called, maybe somebody demanded the anointing, you know, because the anointing can be demanded too. Amen. Amen. No, that's a good, that's a good word. That's a really spot on word. Amen. Um, okay. So let's talk about some of these uh, prophetic protocols when we're doing this, because, you know, I, I've spent years inside and outside of different uh, streams. You know, one of them says, hey, every prophetic word has, has to be encouraging. We just talked about that for a minute. Obviously, the least encouraging word of knowledge, I think, that, that we see in the New Testament is Ananias and Sapphira, right? You cheated the Lord, you're going to die. That is definitely not a positive outcome to a prophetic, you know, to a <laughs> word of knowledge, right? And people say, oh, no, it all has to be encouraging. Explain that one to me. So that breaks the mold completely. Um, and, and so we, we know that we, we have to do that. So here's the question. Um, how do we, you know, Ken, I'll address this to you. Is like, how do we make sure we talked about fear of the Lord being necessary, but so many times we fear man. We fear the, the ramifications, the backlash, the uh, shame of getting it wrong or, or uh, being, ex, you know, being uh, excommunicated out of circles that we've traveled in. Uh, all of the, uh, this tension to, uh, to not just get it right, but, but let me even take it further. We live in a fast-paced world, and I'll say it this way, uh, Ken, you know, being a biblical scholar, you know that when you read the book of Isaiah or the book of Ezekiel, you know, especially in Ezekiel, in the seventh year of the 10th month of the king, in the fifth year of the fifth month, you know, I'm just throwing out numbers here, in the 10th year, you, you have all these defining dates throughout Ezekiel where it's apparent, it's very obvious that Ezekiel received these words over many months or over sometimes many years. Yes. But we live in a fast-paced ministry world. Uh, you know, and I know you were with Wimber and self-promotion is the devil of all devils, you know, in, in that circle. But we live in a fast-paced prophetic uh, supernatural world where if you are not posting your latest healing, if you're not posting your latest word, if you're not posting your latest thing, and it's not this week, then you have somehow become irrelevant. You must post, post, post. You must have, have, have. And here's Ezekiel who goes years sometimes without a word for the nation. I'm Are you concerned? Does I am a little bit, but are you concerned or do you think there's anything or do you think maybe we're just in an escalated season for prophets that have like a daily word or a weekly word? Is, is that even is that even inside the realm of prophetic protocol or are we missing it completely? Wow. Um, why don't you it's ask a big me? indictment? I know. Um, well, in theory, yes, somebody might be one who gets words with that degree of uh, frequency, I guess. Now, like daily, like like a word over you or an individual, I'm talking about those big national words, you know, where we see that even the major prophets not have those, not even anything yeah. in the New Testament like that. Well, I, I whenever I'm teaching on this stuff, I often point people to Jeremiah 42, 7. Now, most people have never read through the entire book of Jeremiah, and yet they want to be known as a prophet. And I'm kind of like, you know, if you haven't sat down at table with the prophets of old who God himself said were good enough to be in the Bible, 
and understood their message and who they were and their process, you probably have, you probably skipped a few important lessons in prophetic training. Um, but in Jeremiah 42, 7, Jeremiah is approached by the leaders of the nation and Jerusalem is under siege and at the point of capitulation collapse uh, before the armies of Babylon. And they say, Jeremiah, do you have a word from the Lord? And he says, I don't know. Let me go inquire. And then it says, 10 days later, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. 10 days later. And Jeremiah is what we call a writing prophet. He wrote the second longest book of prophecy in the Bible. And he also wrote a second book called Lamentations. Hmm. Um, and as I like to say, I'm, I'm being a little bit, you know, cheeky, tongue in cheek you know, teasing when I say it, but he's got all of us beat because he made it into the book, you know, the book. Uh, and as good as any of us might be, we aren't, won't, and can't uh, by definition. And so, you know, it's interesting to me that the word of the Lord took 10 whole days to come to Jeremiah at a time when, when ver the very leaders of the nation are like, Jeremiah, did the word come overnight? No, 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 not yet. Go away. Let me pray longer. Well, Jeremiah, I mean, you don't understand how critical the moment is. I mean, the, the, the city gates are going to collapse and the Babylonians are going to be upon it. I, I know, but I don't have a word from the Lord. I mean, it takes a certain kind of discipline That's and, and, you know, prophetic maturity. But how about just human maturity to be able to say, I don't yet have the word of the Lord. And we have a similar dynamic, not identical, but similar when Jezebel threatens to kill Elijah and he flees for 40 days. And, you know, we don't know what happened in all those 40 days, except that he was hot footing it south. And he gets to Horeb, the mountain of God, and he goes into a cave. And, you know, we get I forget what the order is, but we get uh, earthquake, wind and fire that, you know, come on the mountain. And it says, and the Lord was not in any of these. And then Elijah's just hanging out in the cave. And we don't know exactly how long. All of these took were they a day apart i mean you might read it that way but it doesn't actually say how far apart these were they could have been a few weeks apart we just don't know but okay we have earthquake wind and fire and elijah you know withdraws and he's hanging out in the cave and it says and then the word of the lord came to elijah as a thin silence or a still small voice different translators render it differently but I'll tell you one thing that that means, whatever exactly how it should be translated, it means it wasn't as clear as my voice is right now. It was thin, um, maybe barely discernible. It was uh, probably subaudible. Um, it was, you know, a bit of a, a gentle nudge as opposed to, hey, Elijah, nothing like that. And that's how he gets the word. And, and God says to him, all right, here's what I want you to do. You're going to anoint Hazael. Uh, you're going to anoint Jehu and you're going to anoint Elisha. And so he goes and he does these things. But it took Elijah a, a, some amount of time, at least 40 days of transit and maybe some more beyond when he got to the mountain to, you know, get those words and be sure enough that this was really God, that he was going to go carry it out. So I think I think in some ways we have cheapened the prophetic by making it seem that we can just automatically get a word any old time we want. Now, having said that, and I want to be clear about this, Isaiah brings a word to King Hezekiah, set your house in order, you're going to die. Hezekiah turns his face to the wall. He begins to weep and cry out to God. 
Isaiah's leaving the house, which, all right, it's probably bigger than any of our houses because it's a palace. It's the king's house. But it says before he'd gotten to the outer court of the house, so that, you know, the, the courtyard, the, the garden, whatever, the, you know, the patio, before he'd reached that, now the word of the Lord came to him saying, go back and tell Hezekiah, I've heard his prayer and I'll add 15 years to his life. So now Isaiah's got to go back and say, hey, uh, what I told you, don't listen to that thing. And I don't know how you, you know, there's a lot of things we could say about how that even happened, but we don't have time to go into all that. But I think the I've had that happen to me. Yeah, I've had that happen to me multiple times. So the Lord, the Lord can't interrupt and give a word rapidly. But again, this thing that we've come to where everybody, ha you know, feels like they need to post every day or, you know, have this, you know, whatever. I, I just, in my experience, and as I read not only the scriptures, but the experiences of the great prophets and mystics through the ages of the church, generally, I don't think words come that quickly, that clearly, that often. There might be seasons, yes, but I don't think it's that way all the time. Yeah, or maybe that, I'm that's... just not that good. I, I don't know. Maybe I just need to, you know, go back to the minor leagues. Go back to the minor leagues. So, I, yeah, I, I just I, I don't see an example in the New Testament for me. I don't see an example in the New Testament where national words are released, you know, on the regular, on the daily basis like that. Yeah. I I would never say it's impossible. Uh, I would just say it's improbable um, that you would be one in a million and to see millions of people uh, or not millions, I should say thousands of prophets that are releasing these national words every day. Uh, I'm concerned about the maturity process. So going back to what you said, just uh, about the, you know, uh, the, 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 not in the fire, not in the earthquake, not in the wind, you know, one of the processes that I have, I think for prophet protocol, if anybody's on here and they want to, uh, get better at prophesying, then I would encourage them to use the method that I've, that I found to be uh, the model, I should say, excuse me, not method, but a model that has been very effective for me to learn to stretch and use my prophetic muscle. Uh, and that's very simply this is that I learn to listen for the still small voice each time. And what I found is, is that usually when the Lord will come to me with that first word of knowledge, you know, on Sunday night, the Lord said April. And so I said, is there April birthdays? And then the Lord said April 19th. And then as I went, each word got um, more and more specific, right? More words of knowledge, but each one gets quieter and quieter. It's like the Lord is getting softer and softer and, and more of a whisper because I think his heart, prophetic protocol for me is the heart of God is to do it in relationship. And yeah. there's only a few people that I will let whisper that close to my ear that I will let come that close where their breath is all over me. And the Lord wants to be that close to me. And so every time he gives me another word of knowledge over somebody, it doesn't matter if it's the fifth one, eighth one, 10th one, they each get quieter. And I learn to kind of lean in and lean in and lean in until I get it wrong. And so many times I'll tell someone, Hey, I'm going to keep giving you another word of knowledge until I miss it until I step into my flesh. Uh, so, so I take the burden of missing it off myself. So I may give you, I may tell you your birthday. I may tell you your spouse's name, and then I may completely get the last one wrong and it releases me but I'm constantly trying to listen to the still small voice of God and get better and better at discerning it, understanding it, paying attention to it and waiting on it. And, and yeah. so I would just encourage people to take that risk and listen to the still small voice, because I do believe he comes in that whisper. And, 
And it's not always the loud uh, yell. If you're waiting on the loud yell, you're going to miss a lot of words that God has for that. But but here's the thing when it comes to the, let's, the flip side of that. Maybe anybody wants to chime in on this. The flip yeah, side of it is. I would to add something on that ahead. because I teach on that. Uh, I could say there's different levels of hearing God based on how God speaks to it. How is your relationship with God? That's a big question. For me, um, God talks to me. And if he doesn't talk to me, I, don't, I do not try to build up something. I can't. Uh, but, but there are people that have a capacity like yourself that can start building something. For me, it comes to me. And then I release it. And sometimes if it, it can be very strong before it used to shake my body. <laughs> but as I grew mature, I knew that the prophetic word is subject to a prophet. Now I know how to handle it. I can choose to release it and not release it. Uh, but the key there, what you said, Len, is a relationship. It's, it's how intimate are you with the Lord? If you go after relationship with God, not after the prophetic words, God wants to trust you. And, I, and you, as you are talking, I hear the Holy Spirit say, I'm jealous of my words. My words, are je I'm jealous of my words. I want to give you my words that will bring healing. So when the word of the Lord comes, it comes to bring in solution. Uh, for example, I was, uh, I was in uh, Central Coast, California. I went to visit a good friend of mine, great couple. They have been supporting my ministry for years. And I heard the word of the Lord, Ken Fisher, it says, they're going to die. <laughs> That's the word of the Lord came to me. They're going to die. And I was like, I came here to give them life. And I hear the word of the Lord said, I'm going to die. But thank God for a good mind. Remember to use a mind with God as well. You can reason with God. Isaiah 1 verse 18, let us reason together. So I reasoned to God. I said, God, what about you give them a tryst? Five to ten years more, I'll really be thankful. I know they are done. But please, Lord, can you extend their years? And then I, the word of the Lord came to me again after I started weeping and crying for that. They, were, they didn't know why I was crying for them. They were, think, they were thinking, he's so anointed today, he's really crying. They don't know I was crying for them because they were crying. They're about to die. Wow. Then, so, then, so the Lord extended their time? Yes, the Lord extended ten years. Wow. Amen. Yeah. So we, we need to remember negative that we can not always negative, by the way. Yeah. No, that's really good. Cause that reminds us that we, we can, we can have conversations with God that he's not just a King on a throne, but he's also a father over a son. That's important to remember that it's okay to reason with God. That's very valuable. So in, in the last minute or so we have to wrap up here, we're about out of time, but you know, what, what do you think, uh, and anybody can answer this just real quickly. What do you think the church's responsibility? Cause this is the last thing we didn't touch on. What's the church's responsibility in how they respond to the prophets and what they say right now in holding them accountable just as quick as we can. What, what do we as the body of Christ, when somebody releases a prophetic voice need to do to hold them accountable or release them to to uh, uh, to take faith and take risk at the same time. Juggle that that in between. I'd like to answer part of that. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. You know, there's mature spiritual gifts, 
and it says, let two or three prophesy and let one judge. The, the judge is a person who is mature in the spiritual gifts, especially in the, in the area of prophecy. Mm. But the whole thing is about protecting the spiritual atmosphere. It's, uh, it's about, and there's checks and balances. And you're talking about people that give false words. Well, the, and should we give negative words? Well, the, the, the direction to the church, to the prophets was, I'm sending you to tell people the truth. And some of those are going to be warnings. And if they, if you don't tell them, I will, you will be accountable. And so, but if they, if they, you tell them, and he's talking about the prophetic here, and they respond, you're no longer uh, a responsible, but if they do not hear your words, I will hold their blood on them and not on you. But the thing, but it's, it show, just shows the strictness of the time back then. But the thing about it is, is it was a door, especially in the area of, of warnings of repentance. And uh, one of the areas that we don't really look at, but let, you know, even uh, there's a scripture, it's uh, found in Revelations uh, 14, six and seven. It says something like this. Um, it says, I saw a messenger the midway between heaven and earth with the everlasting gospel to, to preach to every tribe, tongue, nation and people. And he says, repent and fear God for the judgment of God has come upon the earth. So the thing about it is, is repentance a message of the church right now? And is it given by the prophets? Yes, it definitely should be. And if, and if anyone is supposed to tell the church the truth and the direction is supposed to, to be going in in this season, it's the prophet. Well, I really like what David just said that, um, you know, when the Lord gives a word, at least in the Old Testament, you know, he, he held the prophet accountable to deliver the word as it was given. And I, I've often made the joke, do you really want to be a prophet? Because on the one hand, you're God's friend, but God has many enemies. And if you are the friend of God, you might find that you have many enemies. There you go. And if the Lord is calling you to speak something that is unpopular, as he did with his servants, um, you know, there can be rather severe consequences in your own life. Uh, we'd all like to think that it can be done better or that we can avoid that outcome. But uh, just remember, Jesus did say that the day will come when people who do harm to you will think that they are doing God a favor. And I don't think that's only true of prophets. It's also true of apostles and evangelists and even pastors and teachers. So, um, you know, you call your podcast the D DNA of a dangerous church. And, and I think I know what you mean by that. But I also think that to be a dangerous church can mean at times that we are ourselves in danger. Um, as the psalmist said, for your sake, we are like sheep before the slaughter all day long. So, you know, just, just remember that this is a reverent thing we've been called to. And sometimes some people are called to pay for the ministry they have with their own lives. Hey, I appreciate you guys being on here. Make sure you tune in to each episode of DNA of a Dangerous Church. And remember, I love you. God loves you. Shalom.
Thank you for listening to DNA of a Dangerous Church. Be sure to subscribe to the show on CharismaPodcastNetwork.com or iTunes, Spotify, Google, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Follow Pastor Ren Shuffman on social media and join our mailing list for exclusive bonus training content at www.ffc.church slash dangerous.